and thank you so much for joining us again for a very different type of Grey Knight Erotica podcast. This is your warning at the start if you're looking for something incredibly sexy, if you're looking for something totally apolitical, or even if you were just looking for some pure escapism, this is not the podcast to listen to. I promise this isn't becoming a political podcast where I do beat-by-beat recaps. I absolutely assure you I 100% intend a week from today to give you a really fun, sexy story and experience. But just with how my audience has reached out to me, with what they've said, I would be remiss. I would be remiss. This is actually kind of an 11th hour thing, me recording it this way, because I had a whole slate of ideas brought out where I would bring a little bit of comfort and then just try and maybe do some BDSM submission because when people are freaking out, when things are up in the air, submission is very comforting and very warm. But I decided to scrap that. And I decided to scrap it for two very simple reasons. One of them is incredibly just practical. I, I haven't been sleeping right for a while, and not because of the election at all. Uh, I was, in fact, 100% convinced that Hillary Clinton would win, so I had no stress over it. I just slept last night for a very long time, for about 12 hours, in fact. So there is a big chunk of time taken out of today, and that means less time for creative work, since uh, my creative work is largely done in the first few hours of the day. But the second reason why I'm not just trying to introduce you to a sexy, sexy story where you can give up and, and just give in to Slave Girl Part 2 or anything of the like is because of the reaction I got very early on to a podcast episode. One of the most frequent questions I get outside of the voice question submitted is, do you really answer those questions off the top of your head? Do you really have no idea? And honestly, the answer is yes. Somebody else puts them together. They put together a little list for me, and then I listen to them for the first time. I make sure they all work, so uh, I will hear the hijack or hello, great night, and then make sure that that's done, and then that's all I hear of those questions. I'm bringing this up because very early on in this podcast, I was totally blindsided, totally blindsided by a question about depression. It's episode six, I think. It's very early on. It's before the Christmas episode for certain. I think that's nine. And again, the last question, the person who listened to them for me went, oh, that's a great question as long as it's last, and just totally blindsided me about depression and the authenticity of the person's voice created a very emotional reaction to me, and I told a very embarrassing story. I am something of a stickler for the truth, and lying, especially about something very deep and very personal to me, is not something that I like. So in the moment, after, you know, working very hard on that podcast, on that story, it was a lot harder to do episodes back then. I had no idea what I was doing. 
everything took three times as long as it does now. And so I was exhausted by the time I got to those questions. Uh, I do, I do the questions last. So I was honest and I tell a very, very unflattering, unsexy story about myself and that you can go back and listen. There's no reason to talk about it now. And I was thinking the entire time, the entire time I was recanting and getting more and more emotional, I was thinking, this is it. This has been fun, but this is it. Nobody who listens to this is going to tune in again. Nobody is going to think this is sexy. And the tears are, are coming in my eyes, and I'm not getting any monetary benefit out of the podcast at this time. Uh, I'm not getting any real benefit from it at all, besides it being a labor of love. But I realize I'm about to lose something that was very important to me, even though it was kind of new. It was podcast episode six, sure, but it was somewhere around the 65th week of doing erotic audio, and I, I've extolled its virtues and, and told you how much it's changed my life for the better time and time again. I don't need to say that. So I, I freak out, and I, uh, I staple together the podcast, and I put it up, and I'm expecting a lot of silence and a few there, there, bless you heart type comments. I'm expecting a lot of meanness. I'm expecting a lot of ugliness and a lot of silence, mostly silence, ugliness, and a couple of almost patronizing uh, pats on the head. Well, I certainly didn't get any of those things. I expected the utter worst of my audience, as it were, uh, and I was rewarded with my honesty, my intimacy, my rawness with just offers of money and hugs and love and if you ever need to talk that was much more sincere than the kind of offers i generally get <laughs> a lot of the times a uh, an offer to talk will sound a lot like uh hey you want to talk for a couple minutes and then you know maybe tell me that my breasts are great this was not that this was real human intimacy and connection, and I've done my best to learn the lesson. Guys, let's, let's face facts as a plane enters into this recording that I'm not willing to stop. Let's face facts. I am not the most emotionally available guy. I am not the most emotionally intimate guy. I am not the most passionate guy. And this is because... My life is a lot better, and the people around me are a lot happier when I am dispassionate, when I am more logical. Uh, happiness makes it through the mesh, but other emotions don't when I am intentionally a bit more stoic, a bit more lackadaisical, a bit more distant. Um, these are kind words. You could also use cold, uh, lazy, and uh, self-centered, if you so wish. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. But they are not bad terms either way for me in my life. I'm not a very emotional guy. I'm feeling very emotional right now, and I know that a large amount of my audience is feeling very emotional, and I don't want to take advantage of that in any way. I don't want to... to 
promote a book today. I don't want to write a fantasy that plays directly into that. And what more, I'm going to say something from my personal bias. I almost never speak about other authors, other practitioners of BDSM and the like. In fact, you'll notice that I almost never talk about being a practitioner of BDSM because I find it to be largely a dangerous thing to talk about from the top down. It's a wonderful thing if we're all in a room and we're all looking at each other's eyes and the like. That is, goodness, that is a loud plane. That is a very different thing than somebody saying, I'm an authority, I do this, and you can only listen to their to that channel or turn it off. That's a very different kind of relationship. So I, by and large, try not to even say that I practice or have practiced BDSM in a serious sense. I'm really going to try and break out of that mold today and say, I, like many other practitioners of BDSM, have a larger hole in the barrel than most. I want you to imagine that all of our life, just like we need calories, we have to eat and expend calories to live, that is axiomatic, there is no choice. Just like that, and just like we call that process metabolism, I think there's a spiritual analog. And to me, I picture a large, very dented, very worn brass or copper bowl, and it has a hole in it. And we're all trying to fill that bowl up, that barrel up, whatever that container is, with more water than we're losing. And some people, they just seem to have it figured out. You can just tell that the hole that they have in there, that they could never fill, that they could never plug, it drips out. The water drips out. It streams out so slowly compared to us. Most people in the middle of the bell curve that hole's a little bit bigger, but it's never seeming to drain faster than the water they can put in. And then there's some of us who the hole is just a little bit too large, and it can be for lots of reasons. It could be because you were born that way, you are, you are quote-unquote neural atypical. You could be because of a bad childhood. It could be because of a very bad year, frankly, or a horrible tragic event that we all hope never befalls anyone, even those we hate and despise. It is my opinion that people who practice BDSM, whether dominant or submissive or anything else, we have a larger hole, and we find solace. We find solace in finally being around other people who have that same problem, who know that their battery is running out quicker, and that's very tempting. It's very tempting, just like anything else in this world, to say, well, maybe this is the solution. For me, the answer is obviously, it's a part of the solution. Being, being a cold, dispassionate man in my day-to-day -day life who only tries to let the good things through that screen of passion, and then at night being a, uh, a knight, as it were, that has been a part of it for me. And that's something I really, really am hesitant to say because 
I feel a lot of you, especially some of the newer practitioners, and especially people just getting interested, and especially those of you who are younger, that you might hear, oh, well, if it worked for him. Because I'm going to give you the now sad, sad truth. Uh, for the vast majority of people, it seems like it's just like everything else in this world. It doesn't fill the hole. But worse yet, for a while there, it seems like it does. It seems like this is a part of slowing that flow of soul water out of the barrel, out of the bowl, out of the bucket. Right up until the water hits a certain level and the pressure is just a little too great and pop. What you thought was a new floor, what you thought was a new part of this bowl, drops out, and all of a sudden, water is rushing out quicker than you ever thought possible. The truth of the matter is, like all material, like all physical things in this world, it doesn't stop the flow of water, not for very long. I'm saying that because I've made a choice. I'm doing quite a few things these days that are in my own economic interest. I don't make a lot of apologies for that. But I'm telling you directly and honestly, today I'm going against my economic interests and I couldn't be happier with the choice. It benefits me a whole lot for the next five, six, seven weeks, maybe a little bit longer, to just go hardcore BDSM authority figure. I can play that part very, very well, both in and out of erotic pieces. I have, I know, a kind of authoritarian energy, and people are drawn to it, especially when they are weak. I know that even now, being confessional and direct and quiet and letting airplane noises into the podcast, it can seem like I have that kind of energy that might stabilize you. But I'm really happy with myself, and I'm very happy with you guys, that we're not going to do that. We're not going to pretend. Not today. Don't worry. The fantasies are coming, and the fantasies are back, and I know that I play such a small part in your life, in the real journey. I'm not trying to aggrandize myself in any way. Yes, submission fantasies are coming. Yes, male uh, submitting to you fantasies are coming. Yes, yes, yes. I, tol I totally and fully expect to do as much mental health, uh, <laughs> mental health, shall we say, stasis pieces for the holidays as possible. To do a big blitz like I did for Halloween. And I'm looking forward to it. But right now, I think trying to say everything is okay and everything's fine and here here's your little thing that takes away a little bit of the pain is disingenuous it's disingenuous of who i am and the message i bring and frankly of the real human suffering that my audience is having just demographically looking at you you are almost entirely women i've never seen it be less than 92 percent uh, and it's often higher than 95-96%. Even looking at all that, a lot of you are younger. A lot of you are not 
yet in your 30s. A lot of you are younger than that still. And this has got to be so shocking and so confusing. And I could benefit, really benefit, frankly, from telling you all to get on your knees and be mine and give me that control. And it would feel really good for a while. Do you really want that, though? Do you really want to just ease that suffering and not feel it for a period of time? Maybe I'm making a mistake by coming to you right now, but if so, it's going to be one of the mistakes I'm most proud of this year. It is the best mistake I can make because I am enthusiastically and entirely betting on you. You will get through this year, this period of chaos, this time of transit. You will continue and you're going to get stronger and more self-assured and more happy. I believe in this bet, and I believe in it so easily, because you guys have shown it to me these last two years. I've messed up a lot. I've messed up a lot. You never stopped encouraging me. You never stopped telling me nice things overall. The internet is a cruel, cruel place, and what more than that, I invite anonymous criticism and critique in. And I'm hard on myself, and I'm public about it. It's not a show, I promise. If anything, I downplay how hard I am on myself when the mic's not recording. But even then, even with all of that, even sometimes rewarding the people who are throwing rocks at me with attention. You guys have shown me such kindness and such respect. And I've been thinking about this since before the election. I've been thinking about, really, since the plane ride back to America. I was thinking, gosh, this end of the year special is going to be amazing. I was dreading it last year. And this year, I just, I can't wait to do it. It's, uh, I've made some jokes about it, about how I'm going to have to dissociate because it's such a, a big deal and such a big emotional year. Those jokes will continue to be there. It's a bit, it's a bit terrifying. But if I could, I would like to just say that the opening notes of this piece are profoundly thankful and grateful for you. Profoundly. I have, I have some trouble saying thanks. I have a lot of trouble asking for help. And so for me to even look at my own notes of, of what we're going to be saying and talking about at the end of this year, thank you. Thank you for being weak around me. Thank you for being strong for me. Thank you for offering me your good and your bad. Thank you for understanding that I'm just a person Thank you for not deifying me. Thank you for not making me Daddy Dom extraordinaire, but just this guy that you like, that you enjoy. Thank you. And now that I've thanked you for that, I need you to realize that you're someone I care about too. I'm never, ever going to have any contact with 90% of you. That's just 
how it works. 90% of people never even write in to the thing they enjoy. I'm never, ever going to respond to a good percentage of those, maybe the majority of people who do. I'm going to have somewhat tacit interactions with those I do respond to. You understand where I'm going with this, but that does not change my sincerity. I don't pretend that what we're doing here can save the world, but really and truly, you guys have saved mine in a way I didn't know could be saved. And that's why I'm here, intimate and quiet and leaning into a mic and rolling my eyes at airplanes passing by. Why do they always seem to pick the one long take of emotional things when they decide to do their flight paths over my head? I'll never know. A year ago, if I was late on saying thank you for my patrons or if I were thinking about promoting a book next week, I would feel awful, just awful and selfish and miserable. It's you, whether you're a number or a member or anything in between of this. You've made me so much happier, so much kinder. And... Sometimes I feel guilty. Sometimes I feel when the bad, bad voice of me, the part of me that nobody likes, even myself, when it, when it starts speaking up and saying that I don't deserve anything good at all. Sometimes it tries to convince me that I'm some kind of parasitic uh, entity. <laughs> but these days, usually, usually, usually... It makes me feel like I have been good and brave. And maybe not as good and brave as I can be. But good and brave enough for other people to give back. So this is me trying to give to the givers. Because let us face it, I am a taker. That is no shame in this world. All the quote-unquote great minds are. And uh, I certainly don't think I'm one of those. I'm a taker, but let me give. Let me give as well as I can, please. I know it's silly, but just listen. Just, instead of being a sexual fantasy, instead of being a top-down ASMR recording, just let's be me and you. But close your eyes. Take a deep breath with me. I don't know what the future holds for any of us. I'm on this crazy train just like everyone else. And my crystal ball technology is still, sadly, years away from being useful. But I bet on you. And even if that's only because you're betting on me, I bet on you. And I would very much like it. If you really, really think I should keep going and making things, if you really, somewhere deep down, think my favorite story of yours is yet to be written, or if you don't think it, if you're hopeful, then instead of saying, I hope you keep going, 
if you could say, I hope we keep going just to yourself, just right now, that would be pretty great. Now let's open up the Pandora's box of mental health, something that I definitely don't do often on the show. I don't do that for a very simple, very selfish reason. It drains me to hear the problems and strifes of others that I know I can't do anything for. It drains me. But let's do it right now. Excuse me, but I promise to do this in one take, so that little belch is going to have to stick in there. <laughs> Sex God 2016. <laughs> I so very badly want you to know that your mental health right now doesn't define you so badly, so badly. If you're having an episode right now of depression or anxiety or hurt or pain or anything else, that's not who you are. That's a part of you. It can feel very, very, very difficult to feel like it's ever going to change. I know that so, so very well. Especially if this episode's been going on for weeks or months. It really can color everything. Every memory, every thought, everything going forward. It can be awful and scary. The analogy I had in my deepest, darkest days of depression went back to a physical memory that I had. And I'd like to share you that story. It's not in any way a particularly great story. I was young. I'm in rural New Mexico. And one thing that a lot of people don't understand about New Mexico is just how high above sea level it is. The biggest city is approximately a mile, approximately 1.7 kilometers above sea level. And a lot of places in New Mexico are much taller than that. So yes, it's very, very, very hot. But because it's also so high up in the air, it can get very, very, very cold. And it's not a New Mexican winter unless somebody freezes to death some hiker, some camper somewhere, because of how quickly it can go from temperate to absolutely frigid. I was young. I was stupid. I was out in the wilderness a little too far, lost on one of my many walks where I was trying to explore myself and the universe, the one that I thought I had already conquered and knew everything about by the stunning age of 16. <laughs> And it rained. Not snowed, but rained. But a very frigid, cold rain with little flecks, little tiny little pieces of hail sometimes brought in. And all the way home, a very difficult trail. I was just getting colder and colder and colder. I was wearing thick, heavy cotton jeans down to my ankles. I was wearing an undershirt and an overshirt over that. 
you can imagine it as flannel. That's probably the best thing. And so I was wearing clothes that I could both not take off, but also wearing added that extra cold weight to my skin. And my body temperature continued to shrink. My nipples got so hard I thought that they would burst. My skin had goosebumps all over it. And just when I thought I couldn't get any colder, that's when the spasms started. The rain didn't abate. My top body temperature just continued to drop and drop and drop. And when I made it home, or when I made it just outside of it, I looked at, I looked at this place that was safe just hours ago. And a thought entered my head that has never left me since. It said, even if you get inside there, you'll never be warm again. It was a very awful thought, but it felt so true at the time. Obviously, this cold could never leave me. I had adjusted to the cold so much. It was never going away. It was already done and over with. Well, survival instincts tend to be very, very strong, and they tend to overwhelm even a very emo 16-year-old boy's desire for the void. So I got in, and I stripped down and I wasn't any warmer, and there was a fire, and I made it roaring, and I wasn't any warmer, and there were two blankets, and all around me, and I wasn't any warmer, and there was a shower, for I didn't take baths, still don't care for them, and it was as hot as I could stand it, and then hotter, and it was painful, and I cried, and I wasn't any warmer. And I went to bed that night, all wrapped up, still shivering, and I felt just as cold. I don't know how I fell asleep that night. I have to imagine it's because I was just so dog-tired from the walking. But when I woke up, I said, I'm just as cold. This is miserable. This is awful. And that thought continued. It continued for about 12, 14 hours, where I kept saying, gosh, I'm still that cold. But I wasn't. In my head, I could swear it. I would sign it. I would, I would affirm it to anybody who asked me from the outside. It wasn't a game. I wasn't doing it to feel special. I thought, I really thought I was just as cold. But I wasn't acting like it. I wasn't sitting in front of the fire. I wasn't shivering in bed. Oh, I was shivering, but I still made warm soup. I still ate a hot meal. I was capable of doing things I wasn't the day before, even though I was telling myself, you're still so cold, you're still so cold. But eventually, that's silly. Eventually you have to admit, okay, well, I'm only 90% as cold. That doesn't make it feel any better, but... It's very hard. It's very hard even with a physical thing that we can all agree upon, which is rare in and of itself. It's hard to even admit that it being a little bit better means that you're a little bit better. That's my analogy. Even if it's real, that's my 
remembrance of what it's like to be so hurt, to be so lost, to be so depressed, that even if you're feeling a little bit better, it's almost impossible to admit it because you and your disease, you and your mental health, you and your state of mind become one and the same. And it can feel like almost a betrayal, almost some kind of dissolution, some kind of death to say, yes, I am depressed. Yes, I am anxious. Yes, I am cold. But I'm getting better. I think a lot of you are trapped, just like I was, in a very, very odd rut of life, where things are comfortable enough that you can make peace and have tea parties with the monsters and the demons. You can rue them and hate them, but you can keep it civil. And that something bad like this happens, and you're just wondering, will I ever get out of playing house with these little beasties? And the immediate answer you give yourself is no. I'm here to promise you that if that no is getting softer in any way, if this sudden shock and change in national politics makes it somehow feel worse, it's because right before that shock, you were feeling better. I'm not the only person out here giving a raw, raw, go get em speech. I'm not the only person out here saying, let's all just be okay. But I wanted to say it in my own way, on my own terms, and I wanted to do it without disassociation. So from me, from all of me, I have love for you. I have empathy for you. I have everything I can give for you. Now, will you have it for yourself? This was a very, very emotional thing for me. But I'm glad that I did it. And I'm happy if you listened. Not if it helped. That's silly. But if you listened, I appreciate it very, very much indeed. Now I'm going to go, and I'm going to put on an extra pair of pants and a little bit of a, maybe a hoodie. Because even though it's warm enough, I'm going to try and remember what it's like to feel warmer. Today's a very, very good day for it, don't you think? Thank you very much for tuning in, and I assure you, next week we'll return to scheduled programming. Even if everything's on fire, I'll blow it all out Obviously, I have no excess of hot air. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of my journey. I hope that I'm a very good part of yours, and I will see you next week. <laughs>